Hello and welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, this is where we explore the practical science of lasting well-being. And if you've listened before, welcome back. I'd like to start just by congratulating everyone who's listening to the podcast right now. If you're listening, you made it. You've made it to the end of another year, a long, thoroughly weird, thoroughly challenging year for most people. That itself is a real accomplishment these days. Today, we're going to be focusing on looking back and looking forward, putting 2021 in perspective and setting ourselves up for 2022. To help us do that, I'm joined today, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen. Rick is a clinical psychologist and a best-selling author, and he's also, I'm happy to say, my dad. So, Dad, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Forrest. Thank you for asking. Yeah, and I'm so happy to be doing this with you. I think that um, this is such an important topic around the turn of the year. It's what so many people focus on. But before we get into today's podcast, I'd like to give you a quick reminder about Rick's Foundations of Wellbeing online program. It's Rick's flagship program, a year-long course in personal development dedicated to growing 12 key strengths that lead to the resilience we really need these days. Over the years, thousands and thousands of people have benefited from the course. It's a fantastic way to organize and to get the most out of the year to come. The program includes so much content that I actually can't even get to describing all of it here. I think it's over 50 hours of teaching videos dedicated to different topics. There are deep dive interviews with guest experts, guided meditations, self-assessments, and much more. I've included a link to it in the description of today's podcast, and you can also find it through Rick's website. Right now, we're running our New Year's sale for the 2022 cohort. And for listeners of the show, you can use the code BEINGWELL25 at checkout for an additional 25% off the purchase price. And there's also a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you get to the end of January and you find you haven't used it, no worries at all. Just ask for a refund. So all that said, I'd like to start with a bit of a personal question here, Dad, if you're comfortable with it. When do you think about the last year, 2021, what comes up for you? The strange and wrenching juxtaposition Mm, mm -hmm. between the local and the global, between the personal and the political, between my own experience over the last year, which has been mostly wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's been a year of a lot of development, both physically and psycho-spiritually in terms of my own practices. While alongside that, I'm sure tons and tons of people, I have felt disheartened, despairing, Just when I thought we were rounding the bend on COVID, all kinds of other things have developed, you know, resistance to vaccinations and now Omicron and, you know, which evolves better in unvaccinated populations. It's kind of a mess. And meanwhile, climate change, the evidence around us is getting more and more intense. We can really, really see the edge of the cliff we seem to be racing toward as a human species. So the combination of the two has been really troublesome for me. And A lot of what I've kind of engaged internally is how to be with all that, how to appreciate the local, tend to the local, love the ones you're with, you know, as Stephen Stills put it a long time ago, Mm -hmm. while at the same time, keeping your eyes open and your heart open to the wider world and doing what you can in that regard. Mm. If 2020 was the comet that killed the dinosaurs, 
2021 has felt like the uh, fallout of just smog covering the whole globe leading to an ice age. It's been a very different kind of disaster zone. Yeah. But like you're saying, there's been, for me, just this overwhelming level of weirdness associated with the air. We've been in this liminal space where we're not necessarily peak pandemic, quote unquote. Mm Mm-hmm. But COVID's very much still here. We're going through this whole other round of surge, as you're describing, here in the United States around it, new variants emerging, this whole incredibly complicated political discourse around, hey, why can't the pandemic just be over, guys, as we go back to normal, (laughs) which is, you know, a little out there. Um, But just like you see, understandably, I think, just the decay of patience in yeah. kind of a way and, and the wearing down of everyone's collective willingness to be a responsible global citizen, which I think is really understandable, honestly, without without endorsing that. I think that that internal experience of just, ugh, has really characterized this year in a lot of ways. Just this grind of a year that we've all had to kind of get through together. And then alongside that, just as you're saying, my personal life has been, by and large, pretty lovely. Yeah. I haven't seen as many friends as I would have liked, maybe. I haven't traveled at all, or certainly as much as I would like. And professionally, it's been a wonderful year for me. The podcast has gone to really amazing places that I don't think that either of us really... I mean, we both maybe hoped for, but neither of us anticipated when we started this project back in, I think it was 2018. And just kind of recording through the book that we wrote together, essentially, around when it was released. And now here we are on a regular basis where whatever, talking to 100,000 people a month, which is mm. just totally crazy to me and just fills me with with such a profound sense of, of gratitude for all of the people who have taken the time over the last year to listen to the podcast. So I'd just like to take a moment to say thank you, for starters, to everyone who is listening. And it's become such a huge part of my personal experience overall of the last year. Well, Forrest, you've done an amazing job with it. Oh, well, thank you, Dad. Publicly, I just really want to credit you as the primary source here. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I feel a little bit like I'm your sidekick. Uh, <laughs> you're Johnny Carson. <laughs> I'm Ed McMahon. I know that's an incredibly dated <laughs> reference. You might be able to bust out something that's a little more timely. No, I like it. I, I understood it. You know, I'm this kind of genial guy yeah, who yeah. has something to say. So yeah, it actually has turned out well. And I want to thank everybody who's participated here. And and to really say that when we look out at the collective, you know, society altogether, it's so important to appreciate. Kind of like, you know, Mr. Rogers said, his mom said to him a long time ago when he was a little boy, he's not alive anymore, of course. She said when he was upset, look for those who are helping, look for the helpers. And we help others by practicing. We help others by taking a look inside our own minds and hearts and working with what's there. We help other people in that way. And all the people who've listened to this podcast help the wider world just by doing that, Mm. as well as in probably other ways as well. And that helps you and me. And it's easy to lose sight of those little threads because individually it's one small thread at a time. And yet altogether, they really weave up a fabric that holds society together. And yeah, there's still powerful forces that are tearing at the garment of society, got it. But it would be so much worse if it were not 
for those millions and millions of people and millions and millions of threads being spun every day to help maintain the fabric of a basically healthy human society. Mm. So I want to really thank you. I want to thank you as listeners, really from my heart, very sincerely. Thank you for helping me have a better life. Mm. Yeah, that's really lovely and, and could not endorse it more strongly. So talking about reflecting on these different issues and the kinds of personal development that we can do that are of central benefit to ourselves and maybe in some small ways are cascading out toward the wider world. A lot of people, of course, go through a process of reflection around the new year where they decide what do they want to focus on? What do they want to think about from the last year? Goal setting, New Year's resolutions, all that stuff. And so I'd like to start just by asking your dad, do you do any kind of a formal reflection process or goal setting process, anything like that at the end of the year? I do. I have for many years. Hmm. It's actually been really helpful for me. And, and I do it with regard to two kinds of years. My birth year, based on when my birthday is, which is in late October, and then the new year in the Western calendar. And as part of that, this is... I don't know, super nerdy. But I just imagine Earth going around the sun and hopping on board for the next lap around this track, the next lap around the sun. So I am now in my 70th lap around the sun. Well, and technically, as you probably know, Forrest, the Milky Way galaxy is rotating. It takes roughly <laughs> 200 million years for a full rotation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So even a year yeah. from now, the Earth will not exactly be where it was a year ago because our you, sun you were right. will have moved a lot yeah. right over the last year, given the rotation of this vast Milky Way galaxy, 100, you know, 100 billion light years across and 100,000 light years across. I'll fact check you in the Patreon notes. It's okay. It's okay. I'll fact check you. Yeah, you'll you'll clean me up. You'll clean me up. I mean, how wild to think about that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's 100 billion, but you know, I think it might be 100,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not 100,000 <laughs> light years in diameter. Anyway, so it's rotating away at some velocity. I have no idea, but we'll figure that out later because we're out on the edge of the Milky Way galaxy. So I want a full calculation for us. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh, in yeah. the show notes. Yeah, right, I really do. Right. In any case, just kind of a Imagining that, like it kind of, I don't know, for me, this third rock from the sun, right? We, that's a TV show as well. So here you are on the third rock from the sun. You're really dating yourself with the pop culture references so far, Dad. <laughs> I just got to, I just got to toss that out there. How do you want it to be, right? So I, I do that. I do that. I do it with collages. I do it with writing affirmations. A lot, I do it with a kind of opening to what I want to in effect, give myself over to that which will carry me along. My most fundamental meditation instruction to people is, rest your mind upon what draws your heart, Mm. which will serve you in the moment you do it, and through positive neuroplasticity, will gradually develop that actually as a trait inside you, hardwired into your nervous system. Rest your mind upon what draws your heart. So the way I I relate to this whole idea of New Year's resolutions is not in a super top-down way, and I know you've got some good critiques of that kind of old school way of doing it. It's more like giving yourself over to, from the bottom up, what moves you in terms of a way of being mm. that feels intrinsically good, intrinsically right, intrinsically enjoyable, and then letting that upwelling wellspring of intention 
carry you forward into the new year, maybe operationalized in ways that are useful with language or pictures or images or even something prayerful. Maybe there's a gesture that really embodies that, a way of being, maybe sitting upright with more dignity and self-respect, whatever it might be. Anyway, so I, yeah, I think that's incredibly useful. And then you align yourself with that. Mm -hmm. You get a sense of what is the current I want to be lived by over this year. And then what your day is about is hopping in the stream. Mm -hmm. (laughs) After you have your cup of coffee and you kind of get your head together or whatever it is you do, hop in the stream and then let that stream of your wholesome intentions carry you along. Great. So I want to ask you a very specific question here because for many, many years, and you just alluded to it there in your answer, when I was young, I recall very, very vivid memories of you working on these collages that you would do where, Uh and this is a little bit of a pre-internet activity, but okay. So, you know, magazines, remember those physical magazines? Okay. And you would cut out various- Like papyrus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Pressed on paper, the whole thing. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, I got distracted for a second there by that, but yes, papyrus. Um, So you would cut out these various like images or words or ideas or whatever from all these magazines that we had littered around the house. And you would turn them into these quite lovely different collages that you would then sort of hang in your office. And I think that you still have some of them. I have in, them in all. deep, cold storage. You have them all. Yeah, exactly. So clearly, this is a meaningful process for you because you've hung on to these things over time. Yeah. So my question associated with this is: How did it feel like to do that? And what what is the stance that you're cultivating in your body, in your mind? What are you opening to? What are you feeling as you're engaging in that process? That makes it very experiential for you. Not just what are you thinking about, but like, how are you approaching? Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So often, on usually I'll have some kind of a focus, like sort of, you know, wishes, intentions for the coming year. Maybe way back in the day before I really, you know, settle in with your mom, I made collages about the kind of relationship, mm. the kind of woman I wanted to be with. Yeah. So you could do that kind of a thing. So it helps to have a, a topic, let's say. Maybe it's related to a particular business project. You know, your kind of wishes for this business you're starting, this book you're writing, a major career move you're making, perhaps. Okay. And then inside that, you what I the way I do it is I just kind of flip through magazines. And the ones with expensive ads tend to have the best pictures in them. Like <laughs> <laughs> town and country. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A- aspirational quality of yeah, life. Yeah. Magazines. And I yeah. also include now like calendars from the previous year, pictures of sure. Tibet, Amnesty International. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Good stuff like that. And mm-hmm. then you just kind of flip through it and and you you focus on what draws you. Words, mm. phrases. So I didn't tear out a whole bunch of stuff. And then I kind of refined down from there. And the emphasis on this is not making art per se. It's just like you were saying in a way, what draws you into a way of being? Mm. A way of being. Being precedes becoming. I think some philosopher did some stuff on that. Maybe Heidegger. I don't know who. Anyway, being precedes becoming. You be, and out of the well of being becomes action, thought, word, and deed that makes your life day by day. And so I look for images and words that touch something within me that's within reach Mm. so I can feel it, but it's also aspirational. Mm. So it's that lovely combination of something you can actually be in touch with, which is also a stretch for you. And 
I guess I think a lot about this kind of traditional languaging from the early Buddhist tradition and the notion of these heavenly abodes, these dwelling places of enlightened beings, in particular, kindness, compassion, happiness for others, and equanimity, these four primary Brahma-viharas, they're called. But in that word, vihara, we have dwelling place. Mm. Where is it we want to dwell, and what is it that we wish would dwell within us? The sense Mm. of dwelling and indwelling, right? Which has such a lovely feeling to it, doesn't it? Yeah, I really like that sense of abiding in something that you're pointing to. And that was a little bit what my question was attached to, what the sensation or the feeling tone that you're abiding in as you're engaging in that process is. And it just sounds, like you said, you, you named these key words, whether it's kind of loving kindness or compassion for other beings, or it's a sense of attunement to the way you want to be out in the world, yeah. the kind of aspirational identity you want to have for yourself, where that's a place that we can sit when we're going through this kind of formal reflection process at the end of the year. Yeah, for example, in the collage that I've really held on to and has stayed in my office. It has a picture in it in which a young boy, looks probably about three, four, five years old, is seen from behind. It's a black and white picture. And the boy is walking out onto a a dock that extends out to a lake. And there's a feeling in the picture of a kind of exploration, a joyfulness, You're not afraid for the child going in the water. You have a sense that the child can swim. And that image evokes in me a very archetypal, paradigmatic Mm. kind of feeling of joyfulness, boyishness, exploration, the great openness, the water, you know, Mm. the infinite, the field of possibility, delight. A lot of classic Rick stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of independence. <laughs> you're on your own a little bit. There are others yeah, who are yeah. back in your play, but it's it's your it's on you. It's your dock. It's your leap. It's your water, and that just speaks to me. Mm. And to, and staying in touch with that childlike quality. I love that. Something that I want to emphasize that you're sort of tacitly pointing to here mm-hmm. is that all of our goals all of our particularly behavior change goals, our resolutions are oriented toward desires, right? They're oriented toward a desire for ourselves or a desire for other people to affect them in positive ways. Yeah. And so it's really good to begin any kind of a resolution process that you go through, which can often get very narrow. So to share some of mine, one of mine is that I've been a bit inconsistent recently about my physical practice. As I've talked about on the podcast in the past, I was a very serious dancer for basically the past 10 years. I say was because COVID has largely annihilated the kind of dancing that I do, social dancing with other people in a you know, often poorly ventilated space. You're engaging in an aerobic activity, doing it with a mask has some challenges associated with it. Of course you can, but like just the the complexities of the situations right now has really tamped down the frequency with which people are doing that. And I basically haven't danced for about 18 months, if not a little bit longer than that. And that's created some, some gaps in my physical practice, essentially my athletic practice with myself. And I've sort of fallen off the wagon a little bit recently with going to the gym for a variety of different reasons, including COVID safety issues. And so one of my goals in the new year 
is to be more engaged with that physical practice. But a lot of people often start from a place of essentially scarcity. Mm. I haven't been doing this thing. I feel bad about it. Okay, I'm going to set a resolution to do the thing that I haven't been doing that I feel bad about not doing. That's the structure of like 90% of resolutions in my experience. They're generally kind of negatively valenced that way. And I think that it's such a different thing to have these positive aspirational desires that are much more holistic. So again, to use myself as an example, rather than being like, oh, Forrest, I don't know, you're losing some muscle tone or like, oh, Forrest, your body doesn't really look in the mirror the way that you want it to look in the mirror. Like, whoa, that's pretty self-shaming, right? So what about orienting in a more positive direction? Huh, I would like to have more opportunities to get out in nature. What's a way that I could do that that would also align with my physical activity goals? Hmm, I would like to be able to do certain kinds of things with my body. I love dancing and I don't want to let it go just because it's more challenging to do these days. So what can I do at home with my partner? Or what can I do on my own looking into a mirror practicing at home? because I want to have this kind of positive relationship with it. And then those positive desires can naturally kind of carry us down the river that you're describing of our good intentions. I think with a lot more, your likelihood of success just really goes up, I think, when you approach it that way, as opposed to approaching your resolutions from this very self-critical mindset. Hmm. One of the things I learned along the way about affirmations or resolutions, hmm. and it's a, it's a way to do them, Describe the resolution with basically three characteristics, a complete sentence in the present, positively stated. Mm. So rather than saying, I stopped you know, drinking alcohol or I don't drink alcohol, you would say something like, I am enjoyably sober every day, mm. for example, like that. So I, I maybe I'll put you on the spot here a little bit as a little demo. Yeah, please. In terms of uh, some of your aspirations, let's say for 2022, related to dance and physical fitness, mm. what might be, A, some of the ways you could language them in this positive postulate sort of format? And second, what are the underlying qualities in you that, in effect, you want to give over to that will, from the bottom up, manifest in these behavioral ways? Mm. I think of practice in general, in my case, practicing dancing, but in somebody else's case, practicing an instrument, you know, practicing writing, practicing art, whatever, any kind of activity-driven practice, as in some ways, kind of the purest manifestation of discipline. Because nobody sees it. You're not getting a pat on the back around it. it. It's an invisible act, and it's so driven by your own internal desire to achieve a certain level of capability or to express something in your heart out into the world. And I've often struggled with those, with, with consistency around those forms of practice, those invisible kinds of effort. And so I think that one of the things that I would really like to discover in myself in the new year is that internally valenced as opposed to externally valenced feeling of enjoyment around stretching myself in these different ways. And I think that that can have maybe that positive tone that you're describing here. So rather than, all right, Forrest, you're going to grind yourself with 
20 minutes of whatever a day. Having a framing around it that's maybe more oriented toward something like just thinking about it for a moment. I would like to consistently find a lot of enjoyment in moving my body. I think that that would be great. That's a really good goal. And I think that it's something that I can do and commit to and feel great about. Right. So if I could just play with you a bit about this. Sure, please. Yeah. The language of I would like to, Hmm. you would delete. Okay, sure. And there's something about, uh, I don't know of any kind of real serious brain science about Mm. it, but I could Mm -hmm. definitely spin a plausible story. I think I know what you're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. So you might language it and, and language is helpful, but it's only just a, you know, a small part of the brain that's involved in language processing. So much of our intentionality is somatic and emotional and visual and visual spatial and arguably the deepest passionate wellsprings, positively passionate wellsprings are nonverbal. So, you know, it's important to bring in imagery and movement and somatic, you know, what's it called? Embodied cognition. Da, 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 da. Okay, all that said, we're going to do language here. You would maybe more properly put it as, I enjoy practice. Mm, okay, I like that. Yeah, I think that that's great. And this is a actually a really good opportunity for a kind of teaching moment. I had somebody who got on me about 10 years ago for saying the word honestly a lot. Mm. Honestly, dot, dot, dot. Because he said, well, force my assumption is that you're being honest when you're talking to me. So if you say honestly about half of the time, it makes me wonder about the other half. <laughs> Interesting point, right? And I think that we do that in a lot of small ways in terms of particularly me. I have a real tendency to kind of dip my toe in the water of full commitment as mm-hmm. opposed to actually just giving myself over to it. And that giving over can feel a little uncomfortable for me and feel like, whoa, yeah. I'm really exposed right now. And one of the ways that we can find that is through the language that we use, how we can slide our way into sort of half-toe-in, half-toe-out language, which is something along the lines of, I would like to find a kind of sort of thing. Exactly. As opposed to, as you just said, something more along the lines of, I enjoy moving my body. Yeah. Or I will enjoy moving my body. Not will, not in the future. Oh, now, I presently valence. All right, so great. Yeah. So like, I I enjoy moving my body. I enjoy practicing dancing, yeah. that kind of thing. You yeah. could even emphasize it more. I am enjoying moving my body, mm-hmm. for example. Like fully bringing it into the present moment. Yeah. And like if that. you'll allow me to go yeah. a little further here, maybe for people in general, and feel free to turn the t- <laughs> turn the tables on me, Another really wonderful technique is called sentence completions. Mm. And that's where you pick a stem and then you just complete the sentence. Now, you can use this in kind of a therapeutic way to deal with a particular issue. I'm going to apply the sentence completion method here more toward vision, values, intentions, let's say for the new year. So just maybe do it three times. Start with the stem as a dancer and then complete it. Okay, let's start with this. So one of them for me, as a dancer, I enjoy expressing myself authentically. I think that's a good one for me, yeah. As a dancer, I enjoy consistent practice. And then maybe something like, as a dancer, I'm present with other people. Beautiful. Yeah, I like that. One more just to nominate that occurred to me, I don't know if you relate to it, is something like, as a dancer, my skills are gradually getting better. 
Yeah, great. That that practice focus. Yeah, I threw that in because you're you're aspirational about practice. Totally. I'll I'll throw another stem at you, mm-hmm. just a different one. Here you go. As an athlete. Mm, mm-hmm. As an athlete, my body is getting stronger. Beautiful. I like that. Yeah. That's often a real focus in my training. Is it's typically quite strength focused. So. Yeah. I'll throw one in because, as you know, I've been working out a little lifting weights unlike any time in my history. And so I, my jokey one as, a, as an older guy is something like, as an athlete, I enjoy my new muscles. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I like my new muscles. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually something there. The self-appreciation, <laughs> great way to go into. Totally. So these are, these are really you know, good examples, I think, of ways that we can help ourselves. And maybe more broadly, thinking about people in their relationships, you know, mm, as mm-hmm. as a worthy being, mm. my relationships are. I like this. Right? Yeah. As a worthy being, my relationships are grounded in authenticity. Mm. As a worthy being, my relationships require mutual respect. As a worthy being, I expect people to see value in me. As a worthy being, you know, this is a bit of a stretch in the in the form, but why not? As a worthy being, I disengage from people who disrespect me. Mm. For example, just you know, it's okay to play with the form a little bit, but that's a really interesting one. As someone deserving of love, you know, and if you're listening here, you might ask yourself, which sentence stems would make you squirm a little? Those are probably ones that have a lot of value for you. Yeah, yeah, I was really noticing that myself through throughout that little process there, which are the yeah. ones that <laughs> I feel obligated to give a caveat about before I'm even done saying them, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. And, and that for me was definitely a real like, ooh, there's there's some, something to explore there. As somebody who's really struggled with skin issues like acne over the course of my life, I know just how great it is to not stress about what's going on with your skin. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. No complicated routine, no multi-step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS01 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to work with the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. And as somebody who's used plenty of complicated routines in the past, I love the simplicity of using their OSO1 face topical peptide. Just cleanse, pat your skin dry, and apply it twice daily. Get started today with 15% off using code BEINGWELL at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code BEINGWELL. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you came from, and please support the show and tell them that we sent you. If you're like me, you've probably started to pay closer attention to your long-term health as you've aged. Turning 35 was a bit of a wake-up call for me, and I'm always looking for good sources of information, because it's often really difficult to separate fact from fiction when it comes to our physical health. We had Dr. Tim Spector on the podcast a few years ago. He's a professor of genetic epidemiology and the scientific co-founder at Zoe. And the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is truly one of the best resources out there when it comes to this stuff. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. And you don't have to just take my word for it. Avid podcast fan Stephanie's Apple Review 
says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others transforming their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had an extra hour in your day? We're all looking for more time, but time for what? It's easy to waste time doing the things that don't really matter, and it can sometimes feel like we never have time for what does. Learning what we really value and making it a priority in our lives is something therapy can help us with. As you probably already know, I'm a huge believer in the power of therapy, and working with a therapist has made a huge difference in my life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeingWell today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BeingWell. What I really love about this example that you're giving here, Dad, is that these are all identity-based statements. Wonderful. You are claiming the identity of the dancer, claiming the identity of the worthy person. Mm. You are stating that is who you are in the moment, and then the the fill-in-the-blank flows from there. The behavior, the activity, the commitment flows from that point. Yeah. And this gets to a broader point about resolutions, habit formation, and so on that I think is really important to name here. In my view, most people abandon or fail out their resolutions because they are essentially creating a change aimed at a behavior rather than at some part of their self-concept or self-identity that is leading to the behavior that they want to change. To use kind of an extreme example of this, it would be kind of like somebody who has very, very severe OCD, just sort of setting a resolution at the start of the year. Oh, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna resolve to not wash my hands anymore. It's like, well, that you're probably gonna wash your hands excessively again because this is tied to a core identity, a self concept, a fear, a desire, a something that is very implacable and very hard to change. And the way that you change the behavior ultimately, is by changing the self-concept or changing the underlying identity. And so I think that we can think about our resolutions, our ideas, and so on inside of that framework in really useful ways. And just to give some some proper credit here, uh, James Clear has done a lot of work on what he refers to as identity-based habits. It's not like a completely original idea, but he's totally fleshed out that whole territory in really fantastic ways. And if you're interested in this kind of stuff, his book, Atomic Habits, is really fantastic. I think you're completely right Mm. about identity. And I think it's one of the reasons why informal and informal efforts at personal growth, from psychotherapy to listening to podcasts, one of the things that constrains people is the changes that they think top-down they should have and should become are just not consistent with their underlying sense of who they are. And by the way, this is also true, interestingly, in relationships. Mm -hmm. Because whether it's couples or families or organizations, the system 
forms an equilibrium that resists change. And this is an interesting way to think about relationships, that if we want our relationships to be better, maybe you're in dialogue with somebody else because this is a whole, this would be to take it to the next level. As a couple, as a family, as a company, let's say, as a temple, as a synagogue, as a church, what are our collective visions, intentions, values, goals for the year? And it's got to feel consistent with our identity in some way, right? So as a couple, again, you could even do this as a couple. I'll just make it up. As a couple whose love for each other is unshakable, fill in the blank, Mm. right? As a couple who values trust, Mm. you know, then you might move into something like, we agree to resolve all of our upsets each day before we go to sleep. Mm. Sure. For example, things like that. So yeah, I think identity is absolutely central. Mm. And if you don't have that feeling of it, you don't believe it inside. And so you don't have conviction about it. And when you don't have conviction about it, it has no traction. Yeah. We've spent a number of episodes talking about how to change in meaningful ways, essentially. Yeah. Which gets to this underlying point of identity-based habits from which all of these behaviors then naturally flow. But if somebody's maybe dropping in just for an episode, they're turning on a podcast like ours around the new year and they're checking in and they maybe haven't heard that material. You've talked very extensively in the past about times that you've gone through where you've made a big change to your identity. You thought Mm -hmm. about yourself one way and now you're going to think about yourself in a different way. So I don't really want you to just tell the whole story again, but if you could talk about how you approached that internally, maybe what you drew upon to make a big nature-based change like that. Oh, interesting. Well, thank you. One of the most striking examples of that happened in my mid-20s when there was this kind of intense movie of my life revelation over half a minute that led me to realize that growing up, I had been a nerd, but not a wimp. Mm. And in that was a deep reframing of my history. Yeah, I was scared. Yeah, I was small. I was really young. And yeah, and by nature, I'm I'm not an aggressive dominator kind of personality. So being around that sort of thing, especially other boys who were bigger and scarier and all the rest of that was a big deal for me. But no, 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 I stuck up for myself. I was not a wimp. And that was a big deal. And it's really interesting when you start to see yourself in a new way. I think the key part in a funny way, is not so much the front end of seeing yourself in a new way, but really helping yourself by backfilling the infrastructure so that this new way of regarding yourself, this new feeling of who you are in this world becomes stabilized. Mm. That's a really, really important step. And I think of examples of that in people's lives and relationships where they kind of realize, you know, in that relationship, I walked through a certain script every day. And my partner, my in-laws, my job, my kids, they all kind of wrote me into a certain role. And when I was around them, it was really hard to step out of that role. But maybe for various reasons, I'm not around them so much. Maybe they've grown up and moved out. Maybe I've 
gone through a divorce. And I'm not scripted in that way. I can really step into a new way of being and to kind of claim that freedom and to give yourself room to step into it is, I think, really important. Maybe just to finish with a cultural reference, one of my all-time favorite films, uh, it's violent, but it's brilliant, Straw Dogs, Mm. Sam Peckinpah film, Dustin Hoffman, and he's a mathematician, a, a nerdy, dorky character who has to deal in ways that are really quite violent with a series of threats. And he ends up in the final scenes of the film driving away from this kind of scene of carnage that he got through with this being that he's protecting, this person he's protecting. And this person says to him as they drive away in the closing scenes, where are we going? And the Dustin Hoffman character with one shattered lens in his glasses and just looking forward, but still with determination, with a half smile, says, I don't know. And that's okay. Mm. It's okay to not know. But he's clearly stepping into it. He, he landed in a new identity in that film. And he's claiming it. And he doesn't know exactly where he's going. But he knows he's leaving that old script. He's walking away from those old puppet masters and those strings that pulled him one way or another. Often we don't know. But it's enough to know what we ain't going to do anymore. I'm not going to play that game anymore. I'm not going to walk that script anymore. I'm not ever going to step into that kind of relationship again. I don't know what I'm becoming, but I sure know what I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. So present in what you're saying here is this idea of the stories that we tell about ourselves. Great. And the stories that we tell about other people. Super duper. And it's it's one of my favorite points. I kind of can't help myself. I'll talk about it here a little bit. But it's, I just think that this idea of personal narrative mm. is so fundamental to who we are yeah. and how we conceive of ourselves. And we do get into telling these stories, and they're often the stories that other people tell about us to us. Mm. Somebody tells you you are a fill-in-the-blank kind of person. Mm. You have a fill-in-the-blank kind of role. Yeah. This is the way you really are. And maybe you don't see it yourself, but I see it. And so I'm telling you that you're this way. And of course, when we're children, that happens constantly. Our parents are constantly telling us, do this, eat that, go there, be with this person. That's what you really want. You don't know what you want. This is what you really want. It's very easily to internalize that in lasting ways. And one of the ways to create the kind of personality stability that you're referring to here, Dad, because the the mind doesn't like to hold two conflicting beliefs in it simultaneously. It's very, very uncomfortable to have that kind of a cognitive dissonance is what it's referred to as. So when we try to introduce a new form of self-identity, it enters into conflict with the old form of self-identity and the one that is bigger and stronger and mightier wins. So one way to get around this process is by trying to turn the old identity onto the side of the new identity Mm. by kind of convincing it you actually were this way all along. Mm. And so a way that you can do that is by going back through that personal narrative, that story of the life, looking at it and going, huh, what are all the ways that I actually was fill in the blank back then? What were the ways that I was a tough and strong and active and agent kid? What are the ways where actually I really was smart the whole time? 
I was just in environments that didn't allow me to demonstrate my smartness. I was a fish being told to climb trees all day. Yeah. And and so on and so on and so on. We can do this in a lot of small ways, but I think that it is one of the absolutely most powerful personal practices, this reconception of the personal narrative. That's really fantastic, really. And a thing that people can do themselves that I've done with many of my therapy clients is to bring in a lot of photographs mm, from your mm-hmm, life, mm-hmm. particularly your childhood, firstly, particularly the first 20 years, and then kind of walk through what we see in the pictures. Mm. And very often when I'm doing that with someone, I'll just comment on so many of the things you can see in the faces of the people. You can see in the faces of the parents, their weariness, their strain, that false smile they maybe put on behind which is pain. You can see that. But in particular, when you look at the kid, the sweetness and purity shining through the eyes of that little child, then you can see maybe some contraction come in. And you can also see, though, that even amidst all those challenges, the kid hung in there. The young version of you, you hung in there. And you can really emphasize qualities of surviving and preserving some kind of beautiful goodness inside yourself, Mm. even amidst, especially in proportion to all the burdens and all the challenges and all the the hassles you had to deal with. And you're exactly right, Forrest, to kind of claim the qualities that you truly have that maybe you've denied or other people told you you didn't have or you pushed them aside or you just take them for granted to really, really, really appreciate them. Mm. So that's kind of an interesting exercise. If I could name one more thing potentially to do for the year, especially for people who are getting older. I don't know about you, but I'm getting older. Maybe you are too. I don't know. But many people have approached or passed probably the midline of their life or they're actually really in the last third of it. How do you want to be? You know, Tell me what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life, as Mary Oliver puts it. And one thing about that is to really ask yourself, okay, are there important parts of you that you have, for good reasons even, shelved over the years that in the later part of your life would be really useful for you, including in 2022, to reclaim and to make more room for? You don't need to know exactly what will come out of that part of you, but just making room for it. Like maybe there's a part of you that is naturally drawn toward baking and cooking, right? I mean, the Great British Bake Off got like several million people through quarantine, Dad. So I'm sure that a lot of people are, are seeing a new new love for baking that's, in their life. That's really great. That's really great. Maybe, you know, speaking of myself, there's a part of you that particularly comes alive when you're in wilderness, including especially maybe when you're alone in wilderness. Can you make more room for that? Is there a part of you that just really loves music? Can you make room for that? Is there a part of you that your heart aches for the world and you just really haven't had a life in which you can do much service, but now maybe there's a little more room for that in your life? What what is a form of service? Mm. Helping kids learn to read, helping people who are old, 
doing what you can to support first responders, maybe in some kind of way, you want to be moved towards service. So what is that within you, right? Maybe it's creative. Maybe when you were younger, you were just really interested in crafts and you want to dust that off and become more engaged in that kind of thing. Mm. Maybe you're you're drawn to a depth of spirituality that um, you just haven't had the bandwidth for. But now maybe you can make room for that. So that might be something else mm. to think about, especially in terms of identity in 2022. Yeah, I think that's so well said. And we've kind of reverse engineered here almost a sort of process that somebody could go through <laughs> right now or at yeah. the beginning of the year, whatever they want to do it, of figuring out your intentions and your aspirations and your goals and your resolutions for the year. So I'm just going to kind of say this back to you in terms of what we've talked about so far today. And then, Dad, maybe you can give any any sort of reorderings you would do in terms of the kind of outline that I give. We're sort of discovering this in real time. So feel free to comment on it. I think that starting with the last thing that you said is a great place to start. Begin with aspiration. What would you like to cultivate more of in your life these days? What would you like to make space for? What would you like to do more frequently? What are aspects of yourself that you would like to bring forward? And I think that last one, that like aspects of identity, is a really powerful one. So if you can find one of those as sort of a bottom of the pyramid foundation that everything else rests on, I think you're in really, really good shape. So that's kind of step one. Step two, maybe, is moving into some of those statements that you had earlier, those identity-based statements, as a X, I, Y, or as a X, I, Will Y, except I guess no will because, you know, make it in the moment. I am Y-ing. As an X, I am Y-ing is a good good formulation for it. And create, you know, two or three or four of those statements, maybe in the same domain, maybe focused on different domains, with that same bottom of the pyramid, core aspiration, core identity-based aspect, core calling more of into your life. And then layered on top of that, Maybe there's the space for a little reflection about the ways in which your own history influenced the way you are now, and perhaps the ways in which this aspiration has actually been present all along in ways large and small. The ways in which things happened earlier in life, maybe you had responsibility there, maybe you didn't, that moved you away from that thing. And now you want to return to that aspect of core nature, that spark inside of you that was really there all along. And I think that that kind of three-step structure to it, beginning with intentionality, really grounding yourself, step two, in what you are and therefore what you will do. And then third, reflecting on that broader narrative picture and calling the present into your past in a manner of speaking, it's just a really lovely structure and I think could be really helpful for people. I think that's genius for us, including well, um, the inclusion of that part at the end. Hmm. You invited me to add... Yeah, commentary, yeah. criticism, whatever you want. Oh, no, it's fantastic. So I would emphasize the point that's implicit in what you said of giving yourself over to your positive purposes. I think of... One way to understand will, willpower, is to surrender to the best within you. You are surrendering to it. You're giving over to those inclinations, those really 
important inclinations in yourself and letting them carry you along rather than scratching and clawing your way up the mountaintop. So that would be one point. Second point is kind of underneath it all. It's to take a breath and no pressure, but to realize that every breath that passes, every minute and every day is gone forever. And each of us, in effect, were given a bag of pearls on the day we were born, one pearl for each day of our life to come. And it's a finite number of pearls in the bag. We don't happen to know, most of us, exactly how many pearls there are, but each day that goes by, we spend a pearl. And there's only, you know, N minus one left the next day. So without getting pressured about it, it's to really claim your own life and to realize that most people don't really care about what you do. You have to care about what you do. And you can do all kinds of things. Most of us are not that bound by duty. We can make arrangements. We can allocate our attention. We can start making shifts each day that accumulate as the months go by into something pretty substantial if we want to. We're perfectly okay if we just stay exactly where we are. No worries. Could be a really good place to stay where you are. And you can really choose where you are. So that feeling, that feeling really that this is your own precious life. And I think I'm sure there's some people who get into a lot of neurotic trouble about continually evaluating their life. Is it a good enough course to my standards and whatnot? But I think there are more people who just drift along in a life of quiet discontent, as Thoreau called it, quiet desperation deep down inside. And they know in the heart of their being that they're not stepping into the kind of life they really want to have. They're letting their life dribble through their fingers like sand. And no, don't do that. Don't do that. You'll never get those days back that if that you let just drift through your fingers. I'm not talking again about putting a lot of pressure on yourself and so forth, but really appreciating the profound gift of a human life. Think of the lottery of all the humans that have ever been born over the last 300,000 years and how incredibly fortunate you and I are, and probably the listeners of this podcast are, compared to all the human babies that have ever been born over the last 300,000 years. You know, we have hit the lottery, even in fairly tough, crummy situations, compared to the lives that so many of our ancestors, you know, were facing on the day that they were born, back in the Stone Age included. So um, it's a precious gift. Keep that in mind. I would say that. And then just finishing on, look for the little things that help you. If you want to make a little shift in your diet or your your health practices, don't buy cookies. (laughs) Don't have them in your house. Or get together with somebody that you're going to do some sort of physical activity with that's enjoyable for you. Or you want to start nudging your consciousness in a different direction. Make a commitment to yourself that you're going to sit quietly for five minutes after you get out of bed and kind of get your clothes on and stabilize, you're just going to sit there and kind of gather yourself, be in touch with yourself, be a little meditative, sort of center yourself, establish your intention for the day. Just little things. Those little, look for the little things that will support your big intentions in really becoming realized. Mm. As we kind of come to the end here, I would like to just sort of open it up 
and ask maybe in a more general way rather than in kind of the specific structured way that we've held it so far. Is there anything that you're holding moving into the next year? Anything you want to cultivate more of? Anything you're thinking about? Just kind of one thing. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I have three things. (laughs) Classic Rick. (laughs) What an overachiever. Three things, oh man. I'll be quite personal here. So in my birth year that I'm now a month and a half into, I have two kind of major goals, basically less self, less anger. Mm. And the two go together, of course. And by anger, I include fairly subtle forms of exasperation, putting pressure on other people, frustration, you know, even getting caught up in current politics, current state of the world, realizing that we can see clearly and we can be highly motivated and strong on behalf of what we deem to be good without being tainted by anger in ways that are Mm. problematic. So for me, those two are really quite central in terms of my own psycho-spiritual practice, less self, less anger. And anger, of course, tends to congeal a self and you know, the more we're caught up in ourselves, the more vulnerable we are to anger. So the two of those together. And then the third one is to find a way to be aware of bad things at the societal level without despairing Mm -hmm. and without becoming miserable as a result. For me, it's a growing edge to keep one's eyes open and heart open in such a way and while being engaged, you know, with compassion, but without despair and without hostility. Those three. I think with compassion, but without despair would be a, a wonderful kitchen magnet or, you know, bumper sticker <laughs> or a motto for the show, however you want to put it. Man, I, I think that that's such a catalytic phrase on the experience that so many people are having right now with compassion, but without despair. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, for me, I'm really moving toward increasingly appreciating and seeing my own positive qualities, Hmm. particularly in one kind of narrow aspect, which is I've been thinking a lot about generosity recently and the ways in which people are or aren't generous. And my sister Laurel actually said something to me recently that just really hit me because I have a conception of myself or have held onto a conception of myself sometimes that is buried deep within me. I think it's like a very core, central self-limiting belief that got in there somewhere very early on that I've still been working on kind of excavating, which this is this conception of myself that I'm actually kind of a pretty self-centered person, that I'm very focused on my own well-being, that I I can kind of skate past the needs of other people. And I just get into that very narrow stance where I'm really kind of looking out for number one. And I think that it led to a place where I started really valuing appreciation expressed by other people for the things that I would do for them. Mm. Because it was a kind of antidote to this negative voice that I had where I thought of myself as being not a generous person. And Laurel, my sister, just had a comment recently where she basically said, I actually think you're a really generous person, Forrest. 
And she outlined these various ways. And it was it was just a very, kind of a very cathartic experience for me. Mm. So attached to that, I, I'm really trying to, there's that word again, trying to, but my goal in the new year is to see my own positive qualities more clearly. And particularly to frame the ways in which I care about other people as a form of generosity. Mm, beautiful. And to really kind of internalize that as a positive resource. Yeah. So that's one of mine. That's great. And yeah. something to name here that I think could have been named along the way as a major aid to manifesting our hopes and dreams for the coming year is to draw on the support of others. So we could take the pledge here for us. You know, I'm happy to pledge to support you in that, which a lot will just look like bearing witness, mm. you know, and I invite your support for my own kind of three stated goals. Yeah, absolutely. Indwellings, hoped for aspirational indwellings in the coming year. And for people in general, it's really helpful to think about who is supporting you, who's back in your play. Who's got faith in you? Who could you reach out to? I'm asking listeners, who could you reach out to? Who would back your play? That maybe you've been kind of shy or avoiding vulnerability around speaking to. Mm. On the other side of it, you know, who's raining on your parade? <laughs> who's who's getting in the way? Who's Who's telling you that old story? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who's sucking you back into that old, old movie? And are there some ways to disengage from that? Yeah, the, the interpersonal sphere, the social sphere is a major domain of factors that are relevant to fulfilling our, our longings of our heart. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Yeah. I had a lovely time doing it with you, Dad. I learned some things about myself. I learned a whole new way of thinking about aspirations and goals and commitments and all of these things, resolutions. And I would like to just close by wishing all of our listeners a happy and healthy and safe and personally valuable 2022. And thank you so much for being on this journey with us in 2021. And we so look forward to another year of getting to do this with you. So today I talked with my lovely dad, Rick Hansen, about how we can reflect on 2021 and put ourselves in the best position possible to get something valuable out of 2022. We began the conversation by reflecting on 2021, which has been a long and very strange year for most people. I then asked Rick how he prepares to enter a new year and if he goes through any kind of a formal reflection process. And he really does. For many years, he used to make these elaborate, beautiful collages. I remember them very distinctly as a child. He would cut out all different kinds of images or phrases from different magazines and attach them to a big piece of poster board. And it was a really wonderful process. He still has pretty much all of them to this day. And what we focused on was the feeling inside of him as he would go through that process. Not so much focusing on collaging the activity as the central way to fulfill your New Year's resolutions. Choose what's right for you. Pick any kind of activity that you resonate with. But what was important was the sensation that accompanied it. And Rick talked about resting in this kind of feeling of being carried along by his aspirations. People talk about this in a lot of different ways. Some people like the language of thinking of having a sort of higher self. Others like the language, as 
Rick often does of giving over to something larger than themselves. For me, maybe because I'm an internally directed sort of person, I like the idea of connecting with something deeper that's in myself, some younger, truer, more original part of who I am. Maybe it's a younger part of me. Maybe it's a part of me that's just gotten covered over as time has gone on. Whatever it is, something that's really true and authentic inside of myself that aligns with the kind of person that I want to be out in the world moving forward. Rick then introduced this kind of practice of these STEM phrases that begin by claiming an identity and then go on to making a statement of action or behavior that flows naturally from that identity. For this exercise, we focused on me as a dancer. So one might be something like, as a dancer, I am enjoying moving my body authentically. Or maybe, as a dancer, I am enjoying practicing consistently. So there are a few important things there. First, you're claiming a distinct identity. And it can be a little helpful to tune into what some of the identities might be that you want to claim that you feel a little squirmy about claiming. To use the example that I finished the episode with, it's pretty easy for me to say as a dancer, even though for me, there's actually still a little squirminess there too, for whatever reason. Maybe because I've never been a full-time professional dancer or something like that. But for me, where the squirminess really comes in is statements like, as a generous person or as a thoughtful person, these kind of self-affirmation statements where I can feel a part of me to get a little uncomfortable with making that kind of a statement about myself. Maybe because I don't want to seem self-aggrandizing or conceited or something like that. Or maybe I truly have some doubts somewhere deep inside about whether or not I am that kind of good person. And that's why claiming the identity is so powerful. So we start with claiming the identity, and then we declare an ing, a thing we are doing, that flows naturally from that identity. So for you, this might be about practicing more. Maybe it's about waking up at a different kind of time. Maybe it's about having a different sort of interaction with your romantic partner. But all of those behaviors only arise truly in grounded ways once we claim the identities that they're based on. If we just try to change the behavior, and particularly if we try to do it with an accompanying tone of self-criticism and self-recrimination, our odds of success go down pretty dramatically. We then talked for a while about changing our personal narratives and the ways in which the stories that we tell about ourselves or the stories that people tell about us can have a dramatic impact on that underlying identity. From there, we created this kind of three-step process that you might use to change in positive ways. First step, Begin with your aspirations. What do you want to call in more of? And maybe, as Rick put it, what's inside of you that you want to reveal more in the year to come? Then, second step, we have those intention stems where you fully claim a kind of identity. As a fill-in-the-blank with your identity statement, I am fill-in-the-blank with what you would like to be enjoying doing in the year to come. Then finally, we can go through a deliberate process of examining our internal narrative and the stories that we tell about ourselves. Maybe, importantly, focusing on the ways in which we have really always been that kind of person, 
but maybe there were different things that covered it over for whatever reason. I'd like to offer a quick reminder here about Rick's Foundations of Wellbeing online program. It is a fantastic program. It's his flagship offering, and it has helped thousands and thousands of people grow more of what they want in their mind and in their heart. Right now, we have a special offer for podcast listeners. Feel free to use the code BEINGWELL25 for an additional 25% off the purchase price. There's also a New Year's sale going on right now. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you get to the end of January and you're like, eh, not for me, you will get a full refund. And also, we offer scholarships for the program, both full scholarships and half scholarships. We truly don't want the purchase price of the program to be an impediment for anyone who wants to get value from it. So please, if you're concerned about that, send in a scholarship application. It takes just a couple of minutes. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it. If you would take a moment to subscribe to it through the platform of your choice and maybe even leave a rating and a positive review, it really does help us out. Also, you can tell a friend about it. It's one of the best ways we have to reach new people. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. And if you sign up there, you'll receive a bunch of bonuses in return, everything from expanded show notes for every episode to transcripts we produce of the podcast. So this is it. Our last episode of 2021. It has been such a privilege to do this with all of you. And I mean that really truly. I'm not just saying that. The podcast has made an enormous difference to my life. It has had an enormous impact on my personal trajectory. And I truly can't thank you enough for listening to the podcast over the past year. So until 2022, thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you soon.